0: The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show.
1: I saw some similarities in the Magician Archetype episode and breaking social reality constructs. So I just want to explore that connection and see where it leads. Uh, What is social reality and two terms that you used were individual desire versus arbitrary collective uh, rules. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the word social reality, I'm just using it to uh, describe, because a lot of people don't question the fact that our assumptions about what is normal versus not normal, um, people don't question the fact that that could be mutable, that that people have different perceptions of uh, what is right to you and your friends, in New York is different to maybe the same type of people, but in Arkansas or something, or, you know, by subculture, a subculture. So essentially social reality is the, the, what a group of people, what a society, what a culture, what a group of friends, what a social group assumes is normal um, or assumes is the way to do things. And uh, I was referencing that in, 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 in relation to, a person's individual desire, it's very rare that you say you have 10 people together. It's very rare that what each person perceives is desire, not even good and evil, we can get into morality separately, but like what is desirable versus not desirable is not gonna be the same thing. And with most things like food preferences, it doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe you and your friends can't decide on where you want to eat, but it's not that big a deal. But when it comes to how one should live their lives, how one should communicate, whether it's okay to rock the boat. Uh, you know whether it's okay to you know fly to a different country and do other things or speak in a certain way or live with a certain level of sexual polarity like this is where people start to butt heads and we can see this in politics we can see this in any argument on social media or anywhere people will fight to maintain that their reality is the objective reality people even in like in, in nutrition i like i like looking at nutrition because people will like Fight to the death about their diet being the correct diet in the way that people used to fight it, or some people still fight about religion. It's like someone's conception of reality matters so much. So I just call it, I label it social reality just to help us recognize that there's not like, a, it's not an objective reality that most of us interact with, it's a set of norms that is created by a group.
1: And what would be an individual reality or a subjective reality?
0: Uh, well, they're all subjective, but individual reality is what you perceive as what you perceive. I mean, even down, I mean, when it comes to opinions, it becomes a little more obvious. But uh, you remember the whole uh, what color is the dress thing from a couple years ago? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like even that, like even our eyes, which we think, we, we assume vision is subjective, but even our eyes, based on the makeup of our eyes, I think it's like your ratio of rods and cones. Even your eyes can see the same image in totally different colors like two different realities like i'm experiencing it as blue you're experiencing it as gold or whatever like that is possible so if if that is possible just consider how much is possible when we're trying to perceive something that is not physical like the way a a government should be or the way that relationships ought to behave or the way that someone should treat people should treat each other i mean this is where um just recognizing that everyone essentially has their own reality, and we do our best to merge them for the sake of group cohesion.
1: Okay, so it's safe to assume that everyone has uh, a fair bit of differences in their reality, whether it be physical, um, through how they see color, or how they perceive the world through their belief systems. Um, yeah, I mean, the
0: color thing obviously is not that uh, consequential, but like, yeah, we all have different beliefs. And it's not like, not that we, even we should assume it, it's like, it has to be that way. Like, there's no way that two people have exactly the same physical structures or environmental upbringing or wirings or hormonal balances that have them perceive uh, ethics in certain ways. Like, it's different from person to person. And, and we should, I think the, the most like brotherly and compassionate thing is to recognize that we all see the world differently we all we all have our individual reality where we're experiencing stimuli and our brain is like recreating an image in our mind of what we think reality is you know like um if you take psychedelics you can realize how how uh, mutable that is like just your perceptions can change about like what physical stuff is
1: so if yeah i mean
0: essentially even physical reality is in a sense subjective but we have slightly different perceptions when it comes to the physical reality. Obviously, when it comes to abstractions and ethics and beliefs, of course, it's going to be very different. So
1: I'm, I'm thinking of the example that you gave in the magician archetype. When a man has a desire um, and he lies to himself that he doesn't have that desire, uh, he has cognitive dissonance because it's mm-hmm. it's his individual impulse that he has a disconnection with. And that affects his creative process. Would you consider that tension or something else?
0: I, well, I call it low resolution or low fidelity, you know, like, I mean, the the principle you're sharing is like, you want something, you're too afraid to go after it. To get over that cognitive dissonance, you have to convince yourself that you you have to convince yourself of a lie, like, oh, I'm not into this, I'm not into that. Like, I didn't actually want to go for that thing. I'm not actually upset that I didn't get that opportunity or whatever it is that, you know? And by lying to yourself, the only way to make up for that, the way I like it's like, you have this lens on reality. And the only way to make up for that, like, you're basically, you're trying to say like, oh, this thing in front of me, you know, uh, I don't know, like you're trying to convince yourself that this is not a pen. This is a pickle. So the only way you can convince yourself of that is if you make your lens super foggy. And then you can be like, oh yeah, this thing that I'm holding is a pickle, right? I mean, maybe it's a silly example. But it's like, uh, when you lie to yourself, that's what you have to do to yourself to to get over the fact that you lied to yourself, essentially. And if someone is viewing the world from this foggy lens, what that really means in action, is like, it becomes hard to hear your thoughts. Because if you actually listen to your thoughts, you'd be like, oh, I really wanted that thing. I really have this desire. But to nullify that, you basically have to like, turn the volume down on everything for analogy. And then you can't hear your thoughts and like, When a guy lies to himself about stuff enough, he kind of becomes like mentally foggy. Like he can't hear his thoughts. It's hard for him to form creative ideas. Uh, It's hard. It's often hard to express himself because in order to hear his own expression, he would have to listen to the stuff he's trying to block out. So like it turns everything off essentially. And and, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would call that tension or what, I mean, yeah, fear, fear of who you are, fear of what's true for you, fear of the truth. You know, like, that's, um, you know, and and that's why, like, just being brutally honest with yourself is such a huge creativity hack. Like, it it just like, if you're, if you really admit to yourself all the stuff that you maybe don't want to admit to about yourself, your shortcomings, your fears, your desires, uh, your actual truth, like, when you actually admit that to that stuff, it's like it opens these floodgates, it might bring more stuff that's uncomfortable, It'll also bring all the good stuff. It'll bring like all your creative ideas. It'll bring all of your enthusiasm. That thing that seems so cloudy, or, like hard to get off your get off your chest, is like, oh, here are the words that I meant to say. Here's like the idea that I needed, and it come. It, I mean, and it starts with being brutally honest with yourself.
1: It's interesting that it's also one of the keys to breaking out of your social reality is radical honesty, because when you're radically honest with yourself it's almost as if you're making your reality the dominant reality. And I mean, everyone's own reality is their dominant reality, but you're focusing more on it than you are focusing on other people. Cause you're, mm-hmm. I like, I like the term increasing the resolution of your reality. Yeah. I just, I found that connection very interesting. How um, in order to be an effective magician and have self-expression, you have to, You have to be uh, clear. clear and radically honest with yourself. And then yeah it's, the, it's the same with um, breaking out of social reality constructs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you think like everyone's got their own personal painting of the world, right? Uh, from the magician side of things, like being a creative person, like if you're, if you're, painting isn't clear and then you don't really have a picture. Like there's no fuzzy pictures that are beautiful. But also if you want to ever invite someone into your reality, you ever want to be like, Hey, look at this awesome way of viewing things. Or like, look at this cool way we can be, or, you know, Hey, let's, let's not be ashamed of ourselves or maybe like, let's do something more in compassion or love or whatever, whatever your message is to the world, whatever you think is good to bring other people into, let's stop hating each other or whatever. Um, you have to be clear in your reality. Like if you're trying to present someone, hey, look at my painting instead of yours, but yours is all fuzzy. Like no one's going to want to join you in that reality. And that's why a lot of people actually, their people's personal realities very often isn't their own. I mean, a lot of people go along with group realities and like they don't even really know what their own reality is in the sense of like what their real desires are, what their real opinions are about things. Like they're they're so afraid or, or so unclear because they clouded themselves earlier in life, they just jump on with whatever the dominant reference group is, like whatever their social circle or whatever their community is into, and they just assume that's the truth. A lot of people just assume that a lot of people have been trained from childhood to just go along with whatever. um But inside, deep inside there they have subjective perception, and that's where the creative creativity comes from. That's why creative people often seem as rebels, seem like rebels because you know, it's kind of you just think like, what are the odds that someone's absolute personal truth happens to match up with their truth of their city, of their of their church community, or their family, and so like, like the odds are infinitesimally low. So very often, mm. someone who's like really true to themselves ends up rebelling, not because you have to be a rebel, but because they're they're actually being true to their reality in spite of whatever is trying to be imposed on them.
1: It's almost like to be creative, and to effect, like effectively create your reality, you have to, you have to almost step out of reality, and find the pieces of reality that are you and the pieces that aren't you, and not so much, you know, go your own separate way and become a rebel, but uh, figure yourself out within the scope of reality, because, yeah. Um,
0: the scope we'll of social reality. This is why the term social reality yes, I think so, yeah. is important because like step outside yeah. of the dominant social reality you're around and figure out who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I do think it can be very challenging, especially like if you're around the same people all the time. Sometimes I do, I mean, I do think it is it, useful to take a break. I mean, we all know from most of us with our families, we have certain tendencies that we develop from childhood. And even no matter how much we grow or how much we change, we come home for Thanksgiving, we act like 13-year-old version of ourselves again. Like it's a it's a not obviously people can break that, but it's a very challenging tendency to break, which is why I do think it can help to take some time away or just take some time in solitude. Like if you really want to get to know your personal reality, who should you spend time with yourself? That's why another reason why a lot of creative people spend a lot of time by themselves or spend a lot of time being up. Late at night or early in the morning, like those are called creative times, but really they're just alone times where I think it's easy to be creative.
1: That reminds me of like a, a writer going into the woods for a week to kind of get over writer's block, and artists yeah. usually do have those kind of tendencies. Those kind of yeah,
0: it's
1: very interesting. Yeah, because
0: if if you have that kind of like artistic archetype within you this idea of going out into the woods, like just seems so enjoyable. Like, even if you're not a writer, like I have a a buddy who's a computer programmer, but even for him, the idea of going out into the woods and just like being off your screen and like thinking, like it's so, there's some part of us that like it really resonates with, but that's the part of us that knows if we really want to think creatively, that's what we need. We need to stop getting all these infos. And that's like one of the reasons why like these, like phones are so bad. Social media is so terrible. For our creative ability, because it it gives us all these inputs and clouds up clouds up the the doorway, or like it puts all this stuff on the screen on the lens that we can't see things clearly. We're seeing what other people throw at us, and you know that's why I'm very anti screens.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, social media is just um, if you ever go on social media, I feel like it's uh it's more it's more relevant for people my my age in my age group. I noticed that um they get their thinking from like twitter posts and they'll use that as like a news source and it's it's more like you're just taking someone else's belief and like there's nothing that's that's what we do there's nothing wrong with uh taking other people's beliefs and agreeing with it but I don't think it's necessarily agreement more of like echo chambers just like oh this sounds like it's something that's uh rational let me just post it yeah. up
0: and and like the the, one of the issues with social media or like electronic media is that it comes in in such a high volume it's like a lot of people before social media would get their information from newspapers and maybe all of their opinions came from newspapers the way you said but you can only read so many newspaper articles in a day so like at least that person who's like stuck on the news at least has some time to think of their own opinion but with like twitter with infinite scroll it's like you can consume so much information you can consume like 200 news articles in a few minutes in, in terms of like stimuli like when do you have time to think for yourself when do you have the time to like come up with your own opinion like it just doesn't give you time it doesn't give you space. yeah it's great to listen to other I mean we're, we're making content right now that I hope people listen to but I hope that they pause it or they stop and they actually think about it for themselves instead of like you know just letting us think for them that's not that's not cool. yeah it's <laughs> not good for them it doesn't matter if our ideas are good.
1: And it's like you're you're in your own reality uh, or social media bubble because you go on and you look at people's stories, but you're you're comparing yourself to people and then you're on the couch. Meanwhile, while other people are looking at your stories, they're also in the same position, but you don't see that. Instead, you see the stories yeah. that they post, the good times, the bad times, even with your own profile, like uh, you have pictures of you achieving something or going to a cool place or doing something it's like there's 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 almost an image of yourself that you're crafting for the public but it's like it only exists in your head because someone scrolls past your picture they'll probably spend a couple seconds on it and then on to the next and it's like whatever intention you had in mind it's almost like a game because you're you're playing it and what it does is it gives you dopamine and it it makes your it makes you feel the same emotions you would feel socially. I feel like, because you yeah. you you're interacting with other people, and it's more of a like, uh, the well, minus the oxytocin. To, like, yeah,
0: you get the dopamine, but you don't get the oxytocin a real connection. The having like, like, those things are supposed to come together. Like they're this chemical cocktail that we're supposed to get together. The like, dopamine's great, but it's not supposed to come like it's supposed to come with some other things sometimes. And like when we get dopamine without the actual connection, that our oxytocin receptors end up starving and we feel lonely. And, uh, you know, those people on the couch, like, yeah, it is a game. It's like, they're both trying to impress each other with stuff that they only did a, a minimal amount of time just for the photo. Meanwhile, they're both by themselves alone, maybe not as happy on the couch. It's been challenging for me, because like, my business, used to, I used to post a lot, and it used to be tight. I, used to, I used to get a lot of opportunities for Instagram. But now, like, I hate thinking of like, I need photo ops. And like, I, when I do have a cool moment, I really don't want to ruin it by taking out my phone. Like, there's some cool thing. I mean, I cool things happen to me every so often, you know, like, not, I may mean, not have the most, but, but it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is, this is actually a great moment to share and show people how great my life is. But like, then I, then I ruin the great moment of my life that I'm trying to show. It's like, you can't, I mean, not to say that you can, can't have both in some form, but it's really hard. And like the most impressive Instagram profiles are obviously, you know, on photo shoots and stuff. It's not exactly what it used to be, but, um, you know, some people use it well. But yeah, anyway, I've been ongoing on this ongoing thing yeah. with it personally.
1: I think everyone has a struggle with it. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it has uh, the lure of like social interaction, like social media, hence the name. But it's not not exactly social. It's more like in your head social.
0: Yeah, and actually, I I think, and I've been hearing this like people close to your age. A lot of more people are recognizing how bad it is for you. Anyway, we don't keep talking about social media, but like I do think we're. I'm I'm hoping we see a backlash of like more younger people being like, we don't want to be on phones and real life.
1: It is. It is true. Um, Most people. Most people in my age group, at least, I noticed that they the it's almost like an attachment to the persona that you have on social media and it's to the extent that if you're going to communicate with a peer from my generation I think your generation uses Facebook we use Instagram we look up people on Instagram uh we even message on Instagram we don't really use phones it's like it's like all encompassing of like your friends your it's like your entire social life is just there on that app.
0: Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, and it's tough. Like, when I, when I was single, it was, like, the greatest tool. It was, like, the greatest tool. I, I, can't, I can't deny the fact that it was a great way to display all my positive qualities in a way that makes me really seem interesting. So, women, I'm just getting to know. Like, I can't deny that. So, I understand why people are using it. I'm like very glad to not be single and not be tempted to to post whatever value, value displaying, value signaling things about it. But it it was cool. It's like and it's just like meeting people is fun, like you said, and meeting attractive people is fun and meeting interesting people that you wouldn't otherwise meet is fun. So I I can't deny that there's something to that. It just comes with a cost. obviously. Mm
1: -hmm. And the cost can get high, especially with the yeah. lockdown. I feel like a lot of people geared towards just more screen time, more being on their phones. Of course. at least people around me. So I got the idea of tension as the word to use from the Magician Archetype episode. Um, you mentioned the role of morality in making magic and how morality yeah. can get you attached to shoulds and you start shooting yourself and you start uh making yourself feel like you should be this idea that you're currently not and so you're not being honest with yourself i was referring to that uh clash
0: yeah yeah i mean part of like creativity but also self-love if you want to call it that uh is being real with everything that's within you which is you know which is the dark stuff which is what we talked about last time like being real with whatever dark impulses you have, being real with the predator that's in you, being real with the prey animal and the little bitch that's in you, like just being real with everything that's in you and not trying to slice things up with like, you know, because that's what morality does. That's what morality does for society. It's like, this is good and this is evil. And if anything that's evil about you is not, you have to pretend like it's not you. And it always creates some sort of uh, dissonance in someone. It creates tension. It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, when someone tries to cut out part of themselves, they, they feel incomplete. And um, so, yeah. Should is always like somehow self-limiting, the word should. A lot of things are conditional, like if, if you wanna be successful, and then get out of bed, but it's not. Anyway, I mean, it's a bad example, but uh, yeah. Morality is a, way, a method of controlling people.
1: Yeah. Have you read the book uh what to say when you're talking to yourself no it's uh it's this book on self talk and um he gives a really good explanation of should and why you shouldn't use should in your self talk because when you're when you tell yourself that you should do something uh there's no actual intention to do it you're just telling yourself the I should be doing this, but your mind recognizes that you're not doing it um so yeah. a better a better phrase would be i am or i can or i there's a there's a specific phrase that follows up with
0: okay yeah I, i don't know that book but i like conditional statements because it puts everything into clear clear language like a lot of people when they argue it's like oh you should be this way or men should be this way or this people need to do this people should do this but it's like who says under who's under whose framework? Like, what if, what if I don't want to, you know, what if I, you know, you should go to the gym. Well, what if I want to be fat? Like how could you tell me I should go to the gym? I do know what I want, but you could say, if you want to lose weight, you should go to the gym. Fine. We can create that like an objective statement, perhaps. At least it's something that can be proven or disproven. But if you just say you should blank, or I should blank, it's kind of an empty, it's like kind of a meaningless statement. It doesn't really say anything, but conditional statements like a very, you know, Precisely. It's like this is; these are the causes and effects, and you can choose to follow them or not. And it's clear.
1: And um, yeah, I spoke about this.
0: Yeah, because like there's this guy I was speaking. I don't know if you caught my episode on um, how to be attractive. There's this guy I was speaking to, who like he was going through this should thing about being manly. Like he wasn't the most naturally masculine guy, but then he felt all this pressure to be a certain kind of male, like machismo guy, and he felt like, uh, you know. And he's like, oh, why should I be this way? Why should I be grounded? Why should I be all these things? And I was like, I'm not saying that you should. There are certain traits that if you want to, if you, if you want to be with feminine women, then you, then you must be this way for them to be attracted to you. Like, these are the causes and effects. I don't care what you do. Like, no one's saying that you need to get away from this, like, shoulding yourself or just choosing that if I want X, then that maybe I need to do Y. Um, but it's like reclaiming that choice based on the objective causes and effects rather than having some like feeling of like God or your mother or your society telling you that you must be this way or otherwise you're kicked out of the group or something. That's where that's where that shooting is really Mm -hmm. limiting.
1: And where does that come up on in motivation and like, because people usually use should as a way to motivate themselves. Like, oh, I should uh, go to the gym more, I should, eat better I should do this but it's not I guess my question is what would be the better version of self-talk to motivate yourself into doing something would it be I am going to go to the gym or I go to the gym and take care of myself or some iteration with it?
0: uh well actually what I journal to myself when I have something like that is like if I want this then I better do this. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the exact words are, but like the thing to really pay attention to is like a lot of people when they say I should go to the gym, they say it in a way like they're whipping themselves. Like they have this like feeling of like guilt, of like bad self, like you didn't go to the (laughs) gym, you should go to the gym. And like, it doesn't matter. You can say like the most positive string of words, like I'm good. I'm going to go to the gym. But people are like, I'm going to go to the gym. I'll be a good boy. Like, that's not, that's not a, it's like that, feeling is limiting like you're you're like reinforcing this self-image that you're weak as opposed to like i'm choosing to go to the gym now and um you know sometimes if you have a tendency to bitch out on things or go in the opposite direction of your intention which is true for all of us unless we're born perfect i mean again with that realm of control like you have to be fierce with how you think right at like the moment you think i'm gonna i'm gonna you know skip out on my resolution again as they always like you have to be fierce with that thought even before the action happens otherwise and of you're going to go in that direction yeah you have anything going on like that you want to talk about it, if you want i'm just curious
1: um not right now, um, but I'm very focused on uh, self-talk and how it impacts my life. I, I'm reading this the book that I told you about and I just, I just noticed a lot of places where my self-talk wasn't the best. And now that I'm becoming aware of it, I'm able to kind of play with it and see how it affects me differently. And I've been doing that a lot. Uh, can't is a very negative word. Oh, it's negative, not negative. It's a word, but I try to cut it off, my vocabulary.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to say stuff like I'm stupid or you're so stupid or whatever. I used to actually say I hate myself a lot in my head, which obviously is the bad thing to say. So I would try to reverse that by saying I love myself, but that starts to feel like a little sappy after a while. You may have heard me say this, but like my one mantra if i'm feeling like i need to like tell my something tell myself something that's better than whatever i'm saying is i got your back like you know i just say this to myself whenever i feel like feel ungrounded or feel like i'm thinking stupid thoughts like i got your back we're gonna figure this out because it's not it's not yelling at myself it's like i'm here to support yourself we're gonna get out of this Mm -hmm. wrong direction together like or this challenge that we're afraid of like we're gonna figure it out together as opposed to as opposed to shaming myself or shaming, you know, a lot of people like they met they they ruin, they they disconnect from their own positive faculties, they disconnect from their creativity, from their motivation, from their passion, they disconnect from all the things that would help them overcome challenges by yelling at themselves so that part of themselves obviously doesn't show up. So the next mm-hmm. time they do the thing, they don't have the confidence, they don't have the mental clarity or whatever, right? Like the most important relationship is your relationship with yourself. Obviously, it sounds a little cliche, but like it's true. And I think, you know, that, that should be the root of all of your self talk is like having a good relationship with yourself, really liking yourself. And then you don't need to, then the things on the outside, if you don't affect you that much, if you really like yourself, if you really enjoy your personal reality, even if you're by yourself in it, then you don't have to worry so much about what's going on outside. So, and oddly enough, bringing back the original topic, like, people will want to join you in that reality because it's cooler. Like Build yourself like a good reality and you'll have more people join the reality if want to. Perhaps if you want, I don't
1: know. Yeah. And um, socially, with the person who has the most dominant reality is usually the one being the most authentic, uh, they're being the most real with themselves. So they see reality through a more sober lens than other people and it kind of draws other people yeah. in.
0: Yeah, and that's like the gist of like uh, the Nietzschean master morality versus slave morality. Like the master archetype is that where there is no separation between intention and will. Like the master controls the land, controls the people. It's like, if I want something, I'll do it. He doesn't worry. I mean, if you're you're the master, you don't care about what other people are thinking. Like when someone's in slave morality, the slave archetype, Always blames someone else or is in fear of someone else or is worried about what someone else thinks because they feel that that other person is their master and has some control over them. And like, uh, similar to like the predator and prey archetypes and stuff like that, Like, are you letting yourself be the most in charge of your experience? There's a book, I mean, I think last time we spoke, I, I uh, recommended a few books to you. And this one's a really long one, so I'm not saying. My favorite book, Shantaram, there's a scene, it's a true story. There's a scene where the guy's getting beaten by, he's in this Indian prison and he's getting beaten by these guards. Like he's bloody, he's chained to the wall, like everything's fucked. But he has this beautiful line of like, you always have the freedom to choose how you react to a situation. Like his exact words were like, you always have the freedom to choose whether to hate or love. And like it was like a feel good moment in, in a weird way. But it's like you always have a, a choice of how you think. And if you, but if you give that away, then you really are asleep.
1: Hmm. So, how does resentment take away your power? Because you, you, you also said that when you're resentful of something, you're, you're giving away your power to influence your reality versus uh, not being resentful and pushing the boundaries of what's possible in your reality.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's similar to what we're saying is like, If you're resenting someone, there's an assumption that they have control over your experience, right? Like you're blaming someone from something they did to you or you're jealous of someone or like, I mean, resentment means re-feeling, a feeling, re- and a sentiment feeling. uh, So like you're re-feeling something. That's what it is. Play around exactly, right? Like you're assuming, like if you actually, like the master, I know, I mean, maybe these are charged terms now, but like, you know. If you really are a master, there is nothing, there's no reason to ever resent the slaves. There's no, there's no reason to resent anyone else if you really are the master of a certain domain because they don't have any effect over you, right? Like, and if you take on this idea, like, you know, uh, if you really, and, and even spiritualize it, like, if you really believe you control reality, your reality, if you really believe that you're the number one person affecting your experience of reality, then why would you ever resent someone? it can't affect you right and obviously this is an ideal and you know people will do things to you but if you if you actually believe in your faculties and i think you have a great relationship with yourself and like okay even though this person screwed me over or this person's out to get me or this person took advantage of me when i was vulnerable i can figure this out like they're not gonna they're not gonna affect my actual experience from now moving forward and then uh you can't i mean that's the beauty of forgiveness it's not about being kind and like a good person or whatever like the power of forgiveness is like you're basically saying i'm not going to hold you responsible for my experience anymore i'm letting you off the hook because i don't give a shit what you do anymore like that's that's forgiveness as well you know it doesn't have to be the sappy thing you know um jesus probably has some good line about it but it's not coming to mind
1: That's also why you're able to forgive without the other person necessarily having to be present because you're just you're freeing the hold that they had on your psyche or emotions. And then gratitude is the exact opposite because you're, you're thinking of where your power is in the reality. You're grateful for your abundance for the people around you as opposed to where you've lost power be a, have been a victim because the the master is most likely going to be abundant so yeah he's grateful he's definitely grateful yeah the slave not so much. and if
0: something goes bad the master also takes responsibility because like who else is there like someone who really in master morality doesn't even doesn't think about anything beyond this right like he is the he's the the buck stops with him it's the last thing right so it's like uh if something bad happens, it's on him to figure it out. Like there's no room to complain. Who's he gonna complain to or about? Like he's at the top of the pyramid, so he just has to deal with it. And then when good things happen, he can feel pride in that because he probably has something to do with it. It's like it's just a more pleasant, yeah, it's it's, it's the abundant reality.
1: I wanna share a spiritual view. Um sure. So tension is the cost of living on earth. Um, Is that because tension never really goes away. Um, It's always there. It doesn't matter how much self-development you do. It's part of polarity. It's part of just being a human, interacting with other humans and having emotions. So, But the more we challenge and step into tension the more we expand into ourselves. Because your tension often reveals false expectations appearing real or fear or limiting beliefs that you've had. Because some limiting beliefs do cause tension. So the more we step into tension, the more we expand spiritually. So then the more we expand, then the more dominant our reality becomes and the more we're able to kind of step out of and see social norms or social reality and the more we're able to be a magician because we're becoming more aware of all that we are as we expand by stepping into tension. Yeah. That's kind of a spiritual take that I... uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And to to go through that path backwards, kind of like there's a lot of tension in just going against the social reality that you're in. I It's a natural tendency of a group to uh, challenge you, which is why it feels, I mean, that's how, that's how social realities coalesce because it feels kind of weird and not so good to go against what people think or go to do what people you think people are going to judge you for, right? That has a lot of tension in it. And that's like one of the ways a lot. That's the way a lot of people stay small. Never really live their lives. Mm. Just that fear of a social reality. So, um, yeah. And for of, and then once you break free of it, yeah.
1: And but, for someone who would be in that, in that, um, trying to work on themselves and self development, they would be at first. You would feel way more resistance and tension trying to uh, break out of that. Uh, break out of staying small but then as you start to break out it's almost like you gain momentum and it just becomes easier Mm -hmm. at least from my experience in life I noticed that yeah when I was uh first trying to kind of establish boundaries and learn how to tell say no to people and um make sure that I knew where my reality was and I was being honest with my compass I found so much resistance around me But as I progressed, I just found that it became less about other people and more about me and what I was, I was viewing the world, what my beliefs were. It wasn't about what the other person did. It was how I perceived it and how I can kind of like use magic to, to, to change my beliefs and adjust them accordingly. Yeah, Because I became more, more aware of like, I don't even know what. I became aware of i think just myself and
0: yeah you probably became aware of like the whole world outside of the fishbowl of what you thought was okay it's like once you pierce out of that bubble even if it's just like breaking a social norm or like the expectations of your reference group like you're like oh there's a whole world out here and and that feels magical like if you didn't if you thought the world was here and you thought there's nothing outside the world there's like oh there's another so it's like popping. I mean, I hate to use this cliche, but to pop out of the matrix, you're like, oh, wow, there's a, another world outside of that little world. Well, that, real, that little world is not something I need to take that seriously, right? If that's a smaller world. Like, if you knew this was a dream, or if you knew this was a simulation, for sure. And you knew there's an outside world, right? And um, you wrote the word resistance. Like, it's just like resistance training with weights, like with, lift, with weightlifting, with strength training. Like, you, you find a resistance that you can actually lift it feels like there's a lot of tension, literal tension in your muscles. It's hard for a while. It maybe wears you down and you become stronger and that weight eventually becomes really light and not a big deal. And then you can find a new challenge and a new resistance point. And it's like, that's, that's essentially the path of growth. Um, emotionally, same principle as muscle growth.
1: That's a good metaphor. I didn't think of it that way, but Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: yeah and it's like you know i just think of myself and like what i thought was a really heavy weight like until it's like just take shame for instance i mean all of this is, can be related to shame like like what i thought was such a big deal now like i'm not that i'm shameless but like there's stuff that i'm happy to talk about and i don't even think about it like i feel almost no tension thinking about it or talking about it but make enough, make other people feel really embarrassed or really uncomfortable and it's like wow i kind of forgot I, I, the other day, I was speaking with a, a guy, I was you know, speaking with a guy, who follows the podcast. Uh, I met him up in Thailand, and I was, like, just speaking about my cult experience, which I feel zero shame about. But it's my life, and he was getting so contracted, we were, like, in this juice bar, and it's like, oh, my God, like, people are going to hear us. It's like, why are, you, why are you contracting? Like, I'm talking about my life. Like, you, have, you have nothing to be ashamed about, like, but, like, I, I can remember there was a time where, like, if I was speaking with someone was saying something that would, that I would think other people would judge. Even if I wasn't saying it, I would feel embarrassed too. And like, that's like, you know, different levels of tension, right? I, I at one point that was a heavy weight for me. Now it's a really light weight. Like I feel shameless when it comes to stuff like that. There's probably other things I feel like, I'm just, well, I gotta be something Something's that's heavy for me. But like, that's kind of like the goal of uh, being free socially. Or becoming a magician, where like you're really friggin' shameless, and you can lift those heavy shame weights like they're nothing. Like that's not to say that you need to do weird stuff for the sake of doing weird stuff, but I mean, a lot of magical people and creative people like they do weird stuff mm-hmm. at some point because like that's their way of breaking free. Like even in the four hour bot, in the four hour work week. In fact, I mean, have you read it? I don't know if you read it, but like. Ferris gives all these exercises at the end, and he has one where, like, he would say, like, he would go into a crowded area and just lie down, and like pretend to be catatonic. I remember that word; I had to look up that word, catatonic, when I first read it. Like, he would just pretend to be catatonic and like just lie there, because of the fact it was uncomfortable, and because of the fact it would train him to not give a shit about what people thought. Because it's, it's a weird thing to do. I assume he doesn't do that anymore, or you know, but like doing stuff that's a little strange is very freeing.
1: It kind of reminds me of the. Um, the whole Alistair Crawley thing, how the, a lot of the rituals kind of shock you into reality and being sober yeah. into reality. So it's like he's doing that and he's shocking his belief or whatever belief he was trying to work through by doing that because it's very yeah. ridiculous. It's very embarrassing. So it forces you to kind of step into yourself a little bit. The same thing uh, yeah. that you said earlier of traveling Um, Just going to a different place, um, uh, you kind of get out of that fish bubble, fishbowl, because I live in Brooklyn, and my, a lot of my growth didn't really start until I moved to Stony Brook for college, and I was in Long Island, and I was just experiencing all these different types of people that weren't necessarily Brooklynites, that, um, yeah, there's just an entirely different culture in it, it helped me put things into perspective a lot better yeah. I wasn't stuck in one b- world view so that was good um, definitely a lot of um, shocking your beliefs yeah, into, into yeah I had a similar
0: thing when uh, when I w- was in college and I went down south to the Marines for OCS and I hung out with Republicans for the first time so I grew up in Brooklyn also so like I just assumed that what all like the liberal adults said and thought, like I just assumed that that was right and that anything else was wrong. And I didn't even consider that there are smart Republicans, that there's smart people that have opposite worldviews. And like, by, by knowing that there's that side, that reality also has a lot of merit to it. It's like, oh, I've been in this, I've been in this assumption, this bubble, it's, that's just another bubble, like they're both kind of silly. And like, even like my, my very liberal friends now, have the same feel. I mean, and not I mean, whatever. I, I don't care about the politics so much, but just like recognizing that all of our perceptions, even our political perceptions, are just perceptions. I and mean, like, there's there's stuff. There's so much stuff outside of it, which is why another reason why I try to avoid try to avoid politics, being active in politics. The way I try to avoid social media, they're kind of the same thing now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and that results in a lot of echo chambers, a lot of cancel culture, and people just posting and reposting the same like i i'm not i'm not trying to get political but i just i see people just repost the same post like three different people and it's not you're not really being effective with that because you're you're reposting an idea but you're not really explaining the idea or what about the idea it is that you're trying to convey to your audience but i digress that's yeah. social media
0: Yeah, and social media is designed to show you a confirmation of what you think. I mean, whether it's through ads or, like, if you click on a baby photo, you're going to see all baby photos. Like, uh, if you click on a political thing, you're going to see all things that match that opinion. So if people look at their social media feed, if people are spending hours a day on Facebook or whatever or Instagram, and all of their feed is exactly their opinion on things. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, you see? You see, like, everyone thinks like me. <laughs> like, everyone else is crazy. Like, everyone thinks like me. But, like, that's been curated. Just, like, just the stuff that fits your reality because that's just going to keep you on, on Facebook. Like, it's designed that way. So, you know, like, I think social media, I mean, is exposing, like, how subjective things are. Anything yeah. else going on? Anything else? Uh, oh, did you read, um, did you read uh, Women? I think I recommended two books
1: to you, right? Yeah. Uh, one, but you also recommended War of Art a couple of times, so I figured I'd pick it up.
0: Okay, cool. Have you have you dug into either of them?
1: No, I'm still finishing the What to Say When You're Talking to Yourself.
0: Okay. But I plan on... You read one book one at a time? It. Yeah.
1: Wait, you read okay. multiple?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... I've made a lot of connections between things by reading different books on different subjects, like even a fiction book, and, and like not always, but when you see a pattern, like when you're reading one type of book, like a science book, and then like a philosophy book, and they, they mention the same thing, that's when I personally I feel like oh a light bulb comes off. It's like uh, you know a light bulb pops off, like, and that doesn't always happen, but I feel like that cross that cross mental cross training hmm. has benefits to it. It's also my personality to want to do a lot of things. That's me. But like, I don't know. I've gotten a lot out of reading many books at the same time. I usually have three. I usually have one fiction book, uh, one nonfiction book, and then something else, another topic, either fiction or nonfiction.
1: It's like uh, reading Olympics right there. That's pretty great. Well, I just you know, alternate
0: and like whatever you feel like reading that day. <laughs> you know.
1: True. Yeah. True. Reading. Uh. I'm very, sometimes I don't feel motivated enough to read my book, and so I don't finish it as quickly as I wanted to. Um, but I yeah. did read the first uh, pages of women, and I was like, wow, this is really, like, raw, and I wanted to, like, jump into it. Yeah. But I don't know. I have OCD with, like, I have to finish one thing before I start another.
0: I would challenge you just to maybe break this part of your reality, just to see if maybe it's actually fun to switch back and forth. Because maybe you, they didn't feel like reading your, your thinking book. For a moment but you read the Bukowski book and it feels really good and then you get bored with that for a second and, you know then you read other pages or whatever you know other pages, more pages whatever you get what I'm saying and yeah like I'm
1: definitely fun. gonna try that
0: yeah there's also um
1: Go uh, yeah there's the, there's a little trick that I use just like whenever I read I try to envision scenes in my head and just it helps with retaining information I don't know if you have any like little idiosyncrasies that you use for reading
0: um well someone asked me recently when it comes to like reading really dense stuff like reading Jung or like you know like biological stuff like stuff that's not meant for like the the modern day public like like how do you read that stuff and what I do is every paragraph I try to say it in my own words like if I'm reading like a a, a paragraph you know because especially in the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they all wrote in these really long because they had long attention spans back then. They wrote in these really long sentences with a lot of words and commas and stuff. And they're also writing for other intellectuals. And I find like if I just read it and try to summarize every paragraph in a sentence, I kind of get it. At least I get what I think I get. And I, that's kind of how I've translated. That's kind of how I made the masculine archetype challenge like using think all books young folks and stuff like. I just translated a bunch of stuff and tried to make it practical, and uh, that's what I do. That's what I do on my podcast too. Yeah. I read stuff and I try to just summarize it into bullet points, and then I talk about it. But even for yourself. retention, I, I found that useful. Yeah,
1: it's cool. It's kind of like double thinking because you think while you're reading it, and then you think again when you're trying to make it into your own words. So it helps with yeah. staying.
0: Yeah, it's one of the great things about books is it gives you a chance to think at your own speed, and have your own opinion, have your own reality. Mm-hmm. A fucking magician.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's. I think books are the, probably the best ex- uh, investment you can make. Just like you know, ten dollars, and then you gain this lifetime of wisdom from someone else. Even if it's on the same Perhaps. topic, you always learn something different or something mm-hmm. you add on to the previous topic.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. love books but um, <laughs> I think uh, covered what all the else questions. You want to talk about? Uh, no, we pretty much covered everything. All
0: right. Until next time. Peace.